a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about the demise of the weird world, but here, Keith, it's interesting because you have defined the West as in slightly more progressive, uh, democratic countries as the weird countries. <laughs> so this is a phrase that's now being banded around and it, it, it's caught my attention. So it's called the weird world. So you and I are members of the weird world. So the weird world is Western, educated, industrialised, rich and democratic. So you take out the initials and you end up with weird. So Western, educated, industrialised, rich and democratic. So if you were to think... Um, about the way in which the earth has evolved in the last, say, couple of thousand years. You go back a thousand years, where was the centre of learning? And it was probably the University of Baghdad, the House of Learning, as it was called, or the University of Cairo. A thousand years ago, the centre of learning was the Arab world. And those Arab, well, Channel 7, for example, with which we've been associated, 7 is an Arabic numeral taken in from the Indians, right? So... Our method of... Only you would know that, Keith. <laughs> Thank you. So that's a 1,000 years ago. And then 500 years ago, a whole new era opens up. So as the Americans, my American students like to hear, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So you get these Western people, white skin, right? That's you and me. Mm, whiteies, yeah. Whiteies, moving off the Western end of this giant Eurasian landmass, which begins in Spain and, and Portugal and finishes up in Habarovsk and Siberia, etc. right? Giant Eurasian landmass. But just at the western end of it, you get the Spanish and the Portuguese. The Spanish moved west. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, an Italian working for the Spanish. So that's one. The Portuguese moved east, hugging the coast and claiming bits of the coast as their ships moved ultimately towards Macau, East Timor, Timor-Leste today, and, of course, possibly to Australia. Uh, there's been an argument that um, they may have sailed around Australia before the British managed to do so. So that's the, the this Western era. So it begins, say, in 1492. It's the Renaissance, right? So if you're familiar with da Vinci, Michelangelo, they're, they're all of that same era, right? So... This is the European era, and the daughter is the United States. And so we have a, a weird world, which is Western Europe, not Eastern Europe. So I'm not talking about Poland or Hungary. I'm talking about Western Europe and North America, which would be the United States, Canada. And I would also throw in Australia and New Zealand, right? Which explains why you and I, with our white faces, are in black fella territory. Right? That's why we are here. We whites set out to conquer the world and we went everywhere <laughs> and conquered it. Yeah, uh, There are a handful of countries that never did succumb to European control. Thailand is one. Uh, so there's actually very few countries. Most, If you look at the Middle East, for example, every border in the Middle East except, I think, Egypt was drawn up by Europeans 90% of the world's borders were drawn up by Europeans. Extraordinary, really. It is extraordinary. Yeah. It's been a great 500 years. The argument is that we're now coming to the end of that 500-year run. Um, 
And so, for example, you've got the whole problem of Europe as a declining population force. Remember, I'm I'm obsessed with demographics, you know, the the movement of people's Mm. population, etc. So in 1950, Europe's share of the global population was 22%, while Africa was only at 9%. In 2050, Europe will be down to 7% and Africa will go up to 39%. By the year 2010... Africa's population will be as large as Asia's, which will be 4.5 billion. With but that's Europe, the whole of Africa. The whole of Africa, the whole, with the whole of Europe at only 450 million. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. If you look at it, we really need a, a, yeah, a, a chart. A chart. You know, the European population is just level and the African one is just going up at a, a very fast rate. Because there's still... It's because developing nations generally developing have nation, higher birth rates, right? They have a higher birth rate because they have a higher death rate. But also you, um, in the Islamic tradition, you have as many children as you can um, and some of the Christian societies. Poor women. Poor I mean, women. really. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But also in some of the Christian traditions, you know, you aim to have a lot of children as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean power, though, does it? Because, those, I mean, Africa really... I mean, it's pretty behind the eight ball when it comes to influence on the world. Oh, absolutely. But um, it is interesting that Africa, if you look at the fastest growing continents in terms of economies, Africa is number one. Well, that's (laughs) I can't even speak. You can't even speak. Um, I'm quite, uh, yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm involved with the Commonwealth Partnership for Technology Management. So one of the projects we were looking at is the availability of oil in Africa. Interesting question. Is there oil in Africa? Yes, there is, off the West Coast. Or well, there is also in Angola as well, right? But also, no one had ever thought of looking for oil around, say, Ghana, which is the old Gold Coast, etc. We knew it was in Nigeria, uh, but we didn't know about these other territories. And then we go looking and we find it. America gets as much oil it's, uh, from the West Coast of Africa as it does from the Middle East. Wow. And remember, America is now becoming an oil exporting country once again because of the shale revolution. But it's interesting, a few years ago, they were getting as much oil from that western strip of Africa as they were from the Middle East. So that money is flying in now. Of course, the money is quite often badly spent. But you look at a country like Botswana, surrounded by countries in turmoil, you know, because Zimbabwe, South Africa is, you know, a bit of a question mark over some of the stuff that's going on there, Angola, Mozambique. Botswana has a higher voter turnout than in many Western countries. Wow. It is very interesting what's going on in Botswana. But what about the education levels in these countries, Keith? Um, Well, what is interesting is there is the thirst for education. Oprah Winfrey gave money to a girls' school in South Africa And she was challenged by people of colour back in the United States. Why are you giving money to black girls in South Africa? Why aren't you doing it in the United States? And she said, if I give the money to people in the United States, they'll spend it on sneakers, running shoes. Whereas in in Africa, there is a thirst for learning. So I was at a, a, a conference where we were talking about the way that school children sit around airfields at night doing the homework. Because the lights. power is so for light, that the electricity supply is so unreliable to their homes, but it is reliable at the airfield. So you get the kids who are sitting around the airfield, making the most of the lighting. 
What about and the same? I'm going to say General. Le- I was speaking at a conference, and a guy yeah. from General Electric said, "And what's more, you'll find them on roundabouts because roundabouts also have uh, street lighting, and the kids sit on the roundabouts and do their studying. Now that's a thirst for learning, and that's the thing that was important with India. So it's a key factor in India's renaissance that you got youngsters now. who want, yeah, who want to learn, and you're seeing it now in parts of Africa." And that's what's a key factor in all of this, a thirst for learning, whereas we in the West are just fat, lazy and complacent. Mm. I mean, I do sort of see your point there, but what about the, a lot of these countries have got um, very traditionalist views when it comes to women's role in society? Yep. Well, and that's going to be one of the challenges because the weird world is obviously about women's liberation Yeah, and trying to empower women. And, and, that, and that empowers <laughs> the economy if you've got more women working. Absolutely. Some of your A-team. And education is the best contraception. The more educated a woman is, traditionally speaking, the less likely she's going to have for a lot of children. So we need to be educating girls. In India, the best way to get a girl educated, well, there are two ways on my recent trip to India. One, you provide toilets for girls. And secondly, you provide school meals. What? Yeah, something as basic as that. So as in, as in to separate the sexes so they can go to the toilet? Yeah. So you've got proper toilet arrangements. Um, if you've been in India, you'll know there are real problems with toilets. And the other thing is... <laughs> I was just picturing you in India. <laughs> like, oh, God, Keith. So How the second <laughs> one is providing food at lunchtime, which started in Kerala, which has the highest rate of literacy, boys and girls, in India. Why? Because 30 years ago they had a minister of education who provided school meals. Now, if you were a parent with a young girl, you didn't bother to send her to school. But now, well, for the last 30 years, those girls can go to school, get a school meal, so that means there's less of a burden on the family budget because she's being fed by the state, and you give her a little container and she can bring some of the food home for some of the evening meal. And those are the girls who are now ringing you in the evening while you're trying to have dinner, trying to sell you things. Remember, India is now, if you look at the global economy... Australia is the quarry of the world. We dig up all the raw material. China is the manufacturing centre. The United States is the marketing centre. And India is the back office. They do the calls. They do the paperwork. A third of all income tax returns in the United States are actually compiled by Indian accountants. I'm wondering how, how often it is disclosed to Americans that that well, is Well, they won't because they think they're dealing with their local accountant on the street corner. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. And tonight, today, I just keep saying tonight, but today, well, this morning, whenever you're listening to this podcast, we're talking about how the West, well, is dying, but that's not how we're phrasing it, Keith. No, we're not. We're, we're talking about the decline of the weird world because... Yeah, we're defining the, ourselves as the weird world. We're Apparently, the weird world. So that's Western, educated, industrialised, rich and democratic. So that's Western Europe, the United States and Canada, and I've thrown in as well Australia and New Zealand. So that's the weird world. And there's always a, a great temptation to assume that the rest of the world is just like us, whereas we can see that China is developing its own methods of the way that it controls people, and Russia is the same. So a lot of stuff that we take for granted here is not being accepted by other countries. They're doing things differently. So what I find fascinating is that a new era is opening up um, which is a post-weird world. So it means, you know, the rise, obviously, of China and India. They're the two countries. 
But what I also find interesting is whether or not the weird world has actually lost the plot. There's been a very interesting book by um, British writer David Goodhart called The Road to Somewhere, play on words. Uh, George Orwell wrote the, the Road to Wigan Pier. There is no pier at Wigan. But, uh, <laughs> right. but it was a study of working class attitudes in the north of England during the 30s. So The Road to Somewhere by David Goodhart is trying to explain plays, well, something like Brexit, how you could end up with people voting to leave the European Union or, for that matter, the rise of Trump, the Trump phenomenon. And he talks about people who are from somewhere or people from anywhere, right? You and I, I think, are anywhere, people. People from somewhere are rooted in their local community. They probably haven't moved very far from where they were born. They're less well-educated. They have strong group attachments, family loyalty. Uh, They value security and they view every change as a loss. So they see themselves as a victim of change. They are the somewhere people. The anywhere people that people like you and me, Kate, are mobile, educated. We like autonomy. We like to be able to think for ourselves. We don't need to have somebody's over our shoulder telling us what to do all the time. We can cope with fluidity uh, and we like openness and we see change as a gain. In other words, that when the society changes, we can see the value in that. Adapt it, learn from it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, the anywheres, that's you and me, are graduates (laughs) and they're affluent. They are less than a quarter of the UK population but they dominate politics and society. See my link with the weird world. So the weird world, minority of the world's people, but they control Hollywood or the French TV, depending on what language group you're in, right? So they do the thinking in the weird world for the rest of the world, even though they are a minority of the world's population. If you look at uh, David Goodhart's argument, The Road to Somewhere, the anywheres, the people who are affluent and educated are only a quarter of the British population. But they think for the whole of the population because they are articulate. Mm. They're the ones who run the media. They're the ones who end up in Parliament. So the anywheres rule in their own interest and call it the national interest. (laughs) Right. And they believe in progressive individualism. So we're out looking for ourselves, Kate. Right, we're progressive and we're very individualistic, right? I don't mind that. That sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, we're we're anywheres. So uh, anywhere features, as identified by David Goodhart in his book The Road to Somewhere, one is knowledge, while the somewheres have lost their manufacturing. So we are educated. We can slot into new jobs. I have a variety of clients, et cetera. Somewheres are labourers and their jobs are going to China or being taken over by robots. Anywheres, as you and me, Kate, have a university <laughs> education but despise technical education. In other words, we like going to university but we despise those who are just getting a, a trade skill, becoming a plumber or whatever. Look how badly in this state we've treated TAFE, technical and further education. It's been destroyed by university-educated bureaucrats. And it should never have been the case. It should never have been the case. The third one, 
um, is that we um, don't have problems with mass immigration, but the people from somewhere, their locality, feel as though they're being invaded. Remember, if you look at the Brexit debate, there are people in Britain saying, yes, I know I'm going to end up poorer, but at least we better get rid of all these damn foreigners. Mm. The second most common language in England is Polish. So they're saying, just get rid of these foreigners. And, of course, we, the high-minded anyway, call those people xenophobes, right? Yeah, right. For people who hate foreigners. Mm. Yeah. And then finally... Um, the um, the problem with the anywheres is what's called an anti-domesticity family policy. So the people from somewhere who have local loyalty have a great value for the family, whereas, of course, the anywheres are people who can live with fluidity and, you know, people having a variety of lifestyles. So for me it's fascinating that if you link together this burgeoning idea of the weird world but you can actually extrapolate it from what's going on in Great Britain or the United States because what this guy has written about in Britain could easily apply to the United States. Those four factors would apply easily to the United States. So where to from here? Like what does it mean for European culture? Well, what it means with the decline of the weird world is that um, we have to recognise that we aren't the only people on this planet. Remember, we have a habit, going back to somewheres and anywheres, of working out our own interest and saying it's a national interest. And the weird world is a habit of saying this is in our interest, the American national interest, therefore it's in the global interest. And you've now got people who are fighting back against that, saying that they want to put their own countries first. So we've got to recognise that there is this very big struggle that's uh, underway at the moment. And that's what we need to be preparing people for, this new era when some people are saying in China, Russia, India, so eventually Africa, will just simply say, we do not accept those weird values. We want to go down our own path. We want to do things differently. Don't think we're going to accept your weird world values. And remember, we're, we're declining in population. It's a very interesting challenge for us on the horizon. Now, of course, if you're an optimist, you'll say, oh, well, we hope that we're going to make everybody weird. <laughs> right. Right, we're going to get the Chinese yeah. to come in. But and I think it's a subject for another program. We've got China wrong. You know, a lot of the talks I've given about how China is going to evolve is to see China evolving towards, you know, becoming a capitalist, free society, free elections, etc. That's not how it's going. And you've got China now as uh, continuing as a dictatorship. President Xi has decided he's going to be president for life. He's not interested in five no. yearly changes Mm-mm. of power. That's right. And you've got American, uh, who's that American politician that's speaking loudly and proudly at the moment about how it's, it's a new appointee for Trump, but it, about how democracy is not necessarily the right way. Yeah, that's and exactly That's a Republican. It. That's a Republican. <laughs> yeah. So it's a whole new world. And so what I've tried to do in this podcast is just to alert people that there is a world out there, they've got to think differently. And don't assume that everybody thinks in the same way. And don't assume that all these cultures look up to the Western way as the way for them because they don't. They don't. It's a whole new era opening up. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.